Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. All right. Well, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. You know, this is the podcast where we try to provide, uh, you know, some non-traditional training for people who are trying to uh, war it out, live it out in uh, in the real world. And I'm super happy to have Sarah Bessie with us on the line today. Over Christmas time, I uh, read her book and actually just finished it a couple days ago. Uh, it's called Jesus Feminist. I don't know if you can even see that on the you know the problem when you read on an iPad. Um, but I'm just super happy to have Sarah on the phone. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Sarah. Thank you for having me. The other great thing about Sarah is she's Canadian. and so <laughs> That is a great thing. <laughs> that is a great thing. We're recording this during the Winter Olympics, and we are on, currently on top, which makes me feel happy on the inside. So <laughs> I know. We'll enjoy it while it lasts, as long as it does. Right? You know what? I completely burst into tears when Alex Villadeau won oh, moguls yesterday. So I get a little... I have a lot of feelings about the Winter Olympics. This is my... My favorite Olympics, and so yes, oh, absolutely. really overdosing on it. It's true, you know. The I had to figure out how to get the Canadian feed here in in America um, through some gray market technology, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, but this is a place of grace and love and acceptance, so that's okay. Absolutely. Uh, um, but absolutely. it was because the last time around, um, like four years ago, in the Winter Olympics, we just watched the American feed, which just wasn't very good. So no, um, I had to do that. We lived in the states for a few years, my husband and I did, and same thing. I ended up. It was before the days of, you know, live stream and right. um, I just, I couldn't even, I was, I was very upset. I couldn't get <laughs> anything on my, on my athlete. Nice. All right, Sarah. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, kind of give us a sense of your context. You know, who are you? Uh, sure. Well, I'm really excited to be here. Um, so my name's Sarah. Um, I'm a wife and uh, stay-at-home mom of three tinies. Uh, I write a little bit on the edges of my life. Um, I've been blogging for about nearly 10 years now and that's really where mm-hmm. um, I've kind of worked out a lot of what I think about God and I think that I'm still a little bit surprised people actually even read it to be honest <laughs> other than my sister <laughs> I mean right. she would read anything I wrote but um, really all I'm I kind of call it at this stage of my life um, like narrative theology mm. almost like I you know trying to figure out what I think about God and what I think about church and community and about what this uh, means not only for me in my life, but even on a larger scale. And as I've wrestled through that, the best way I know to do that is through storytelling, mm-hmm. um, because I'm more of a writer. And so that's just a place where I kind of have done that. And then, of course, the book grew really organically out of that. Um, but in terms of where I am, I mean, I'm a Western Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a prairie kid, uh, born and raised. And now I live out in the west coast of Canada, just outside of Vancouver. Nice. Um, you know, I would probably call the context in which I grew up really post-Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I went through school, I didn't really know anybody who was a Christian at all. I mean, everybody was very kind and very moral, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, that wasn't really a huge part of my life. My parents um, came to faith when they were, gosh, I would have been a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we didn't really have a whole lot of context for church. And so a lot of how I grew up was not... Um, you know, in the world of denominations and in the world of, right, you know, tra- of tradition or any understanding of, you know, some sort of, sort of cultural Christianity. I mean, we went mm-hmm. to church and community centers and basements. Right, exactly. 
Exactly. You know, I've said to I've said to many um, you know leaders here in the states that. Um, you know that you really should pay attention to Canadian ministries, not just because I'm Canadian and I'm partial, um, <laughs> but I also think there is a thing culturally. I think Canada, in some ways, um, I don't know what what you call it. It's it's more progressive. It's it's farther down the road. It's it's um, I think in a lot of ways it's culturally where America you know is going. And so I think you to look and study kind of how the body of Christ is you know really thriving in Canada to find those places where it's thriving. I think could be a huge um, you know can be a huge benefit. I know when I made the switch from being in Canada to being here, um, there were just certain assumptions that I I just had with me that I think actually uniquely. Um, you know, equips me to work with people, you know, in a culture that, that don't necessarily, they don't, they didn't wake up, they didn't go to Sunday school when they were kids, and it wasn't because they were like evil, mean, atheist people, it just wasn't a big deal to them. No. Um, yeah, absolutely. No, I think you're right. I think that that's probably a good way to look at it. It's, you know, in some ways I kind of look at what probably the shift that's happening in the United States right now is really similar to a shift that um, either my parents' generation and in some ways even my grandparents' generation. Right. Um, walk through. So I'm on the other side of that now. And what does the church look like? What does community look like? Um, you know, when you don't have that dominant narrative. Um, and to be honest, I mean, I feel really tender-hearted towards it. I really, mm. um, you know, enjoyed my childhood. I enjoyed the way I grew up and understood church. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and even now, I still feel. I don't know. I I I feel more at home there. I guess right. I feel more at home in a school gym with folding chairs than I do right. almost anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, that's that's fantastic. I um, you know, when I first came across your book, um, there, you know, there was a statement that particularly it might have even just been on the cover, or you know, it was who's kidding who? It was on the description on Amazon. Um, that where you, know, you said that your relationship with Jesus made you a feminist. And that really grabbed my attention, um, and you know, and I was sucked in by that, and read, you know, over Christmas and over the last couple of weeks, finished up, and you know, there was a, multiple times in the book I, I found your book personally just um, incredibly touching. There were actually multiple times I'm sitting there reading it, actually found myself getting all choked up because of, you know, some of the stories that you tell are are incredibly compelling, and that's for a guy who's not known for crying, um, and so, uh, you know, I, so I guess my, I said this earlier, but my goal is that people are listening in today that they would say, hey, you know what, I want to give that book a read. I really do, I, if people that listen to my podcast know I don't sell stuff on my podcast, that's just not what I do, but I feel so strongly about this book that, that I really do hope that if you're listening in and you've, you know, you've enjoyed our, the content and the conversations here, that you take time to, to, um, to read Sarah's book, because I really do think it, it's a thought-provoking work, but, but let's get back Back to that original statement. So you you feel like your relationship with Jesus has made you a feminist. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, it's a bit. There's, I guess, a short answer, and I guess there's a more, you know, in-depth answer. But right. I mean, definitely, right off the top, I would say that, um, you know, I'm not someone who had a lot of baggage about the word feminist. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know that there's a lot of people who do, and, and what I have learned. Um, you know, through research and study and whatever else, is that particularly a lot of people who grew up in the 80s in the United States, um, where there was a group called the Moral Majority, apparently, um, you know, have a lot of, of connotations, you know, about the word feminist. And so for them, it can be a bit, you know, when they first read it, it's like, clutch your pearls and, you right. know, need a moment. Right? right. And so it's almost hard for people to understand that someone who loves Jesus um, would feel so comfortable with that word. And so... Mm -hmm. I mean, I, and I get that, you know, I really do, but the truth is, is that it was following Jesus that made a feminist out of me. It's what let, led me down um, a path of really understanding what the word means, what it means to be women who love, what it means to be 
So, I mean, I think that part of it, too, is that we tend to confuse feminism with matriarchy, mm. and it's really not, you know, the same thing. It's not certainly not, you know, something that would try to, you know, hold back men or hold down men at all. It just mm -hmm. simply is equality. Mm -hmm. So, let me see. I think part of the reason why I say that is because, for me, I really did start and end, and everything is about Jesus for me. Mm -hmm. um, after a period of my life where I really felt like I was perhaps in, in a bit of a, a wilderness, maybe, mm. um, and really struggling with church and with community and what that would look like and what that would mean. Um, I just, honestly, I spent so much time in the Gospels, really fell in love with Jesus. And I know it sounds a little bit emotional and charismatic of me, but I am a child of the renewal movement. <laughs> and so I cannot help, help that aspect of it. Um, you know, my tent is really wide now and my borders are, are certainly wide open and I have benefited and learned and refined and reclaimed and done all of the rebuilding and deconstructing necessary, but I'm still, I'm still happy clappy. Right. <laughs> nice. But part of the reason why that was is because I felt like as I was reading about Jesus and learning who he was, I just, it changed everything for me. Hmm. He changed everything for me. And just understanding how he moved through his life and when I began to understand my life as a disciple instead of as a churchgoer, mm -hmm. um, that Ironically, I mean, changing my life and reorienting my life around who Jesus was, what he taught, the way he moved through his life, changed my, my marriage, it changed my mothering, it changed my politics, it changed my opinions. Mm -hmm. um, and ironically, it brought me back to even institutional church and brought me back to, you know, the practice of intentional community. Uh, so, I mean, all those things were part of that. And so this aspect of my calling, um, which was that, I had a tremendous passion for women and right. a tremendous passion for women's issues. And the more that I learned and the more I learned about how Jesus looked at women and the more I looked at his interactions with them and the more I looked at even Paul and um, John and uh, the rest of the church as a whole, I was like, this is amazing. Right. And of course, my passions and vocation lined up there. And so I just felt really comfortable at that point saying, well, of course I'm a feminist. Right. Of course I am because this is just so clear to me and so um, just I don't know it really came into place it was quite funny because I remember the first time I said it because I was so uh, I was working with Mercy Ministries and I was working with women's ministries and, and quite passionate about global women's issues maternal health that type of thing and I would just say oh like well I'm a feminist and I remember I was in a church and somebody was like well, <laughs> it was like what? you said you're a terrorist yeah exactly it's like dropping the F word right right exactly and they said, um, well, what kind of feminist are you? And so just, you know, being cheeky and just sort of off the top of my head, I said, oh, I'm a Jesus feminist. Right. You know, just basically meant that, you know, I was a feminist because I love Jesus, because mm -hmm. following him led me that way. Right. Um, and it just kind of took on its own life on my blog and just still is completely made up. It's a completely made up term. Right, exactly, right, exactly. You know, but it's, and it was definitely, you know, a bit risky probably putting it on the cover, but... You know, at the same time, you know, I think it's gotten some good conversations started, so I'm happy. Yeah. Was there something in particular, or or maybe is there a way to narrow down on a particular part of the Jesus narrative that that spoke to you, um, and and you know maybe drew out some of those, you know, drew out the the feminist side of you that kind of like that when you saw Jesus doing this or doing that, that that kind of resonated more with you on that front. 
You know, I think probably the thing that really brought it out to me the most was that he didn't treat us any differently. Hmm. That there was no um, no story, no aspect, no joke, no parable, nothing that seemed to poke fun at women or that seemed to kind of borrow, um, you know, to, I remember uh, Dorothy Sayer said the same thing, like nothing he said borrowed its pungency from the perversity of women, right? Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. I mean, no matter what, he, no matter who he encountered, whether it was a man or a woman, they were really engaged on their own soul's two feet, that mm. there was no, no real difference there. And I think that it was almost um, that moment of realizing that we were we were there at the same time that there was you know not a lot of fanfare about it there wasn't a lot of you know specialness to it or right. differences that mm -hmm. there was just a real wholeness to how he engaged with humanity whether they were male or female rich or poor you know religious or irreligious or whatever else there was just a tremendous amount of value and worth and love that seemed to engage with every um, you know incident I mean there were a lot of stories throughout all of scripture that really captured my Mm -hmm. My heart, for sure. Cool. Now, I think there'd be a lot of people that are listening, uh, you know, to today's show, you know, who, um, you know, their churches would be characterized. They're, they're not necessarily anti-women in the sense that they don't have a, you know, some sort of written policy or, you know, they've, you know, they've kind of landed in a theological place. I think for the, you know, for the most part, um, although, you know, there obviously are still people within the broad tent of Christianity who, who are in that camp, but I think for the most part, I think a lot of people, particularly the tribe that we end up swimming with here, would be in the tent where they'd say, yeah, like women can, can have, they can do whatever they want, they can lead, and there, and there are a lot of strong women in, in doing great things and involved in all different kinds of activities and leading all different kinds of things, um, but there just seems to be a lack, those churches still seem to be dominated by by men, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. and, and so what would you say to a church leader that say, how, how can we include more female voices at the table? How do, and that's like, that's a very personal question. That's, not, that's what I'm asking in my world. How do I, mm -hmm. as a guy, a guy leading in a church, you know, I'm part of that team. I look around and say, man, I, I want to find a way to have more, you know, women at the table here. How do we do that? That's a really good question. Um, and, and part of, what I think I love about the conversations that are developing is people are wanting to have that conversation. I, t I tend to agree with you. I don't, you know, see things as very black and white, and I'm not certainly not someone who believes that you have to 100% agree with everything I say, or else you know you hate ladies. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> but um, I think that there are, you know, certain things that are different for every single community. Um, you know, I think that we need people who are very pragmatic and are willing to really engage in, in the hard work of staying within and looking at things like church constitutions and voting practices and, you know, more like the nuts and bolts, um, you know, of a community that can sometimes emerge over time. And then there's people who are really called to almost be the poets and the prophets of that kind of movement, mm. the ones who are, um, you know, celebrating, the ones who are um, challenging, the ones who are um, inviting, and so there's a lot of different ways to kind of move through that. And so every, I think, community can look at what makes them unique and follow Jesus and follow the Spirit and discern those things together, how that would look. I think probably the first thing that I would, um, I would probably recommend most of all is probably repenting. And mm. I know that's not very... <laughs> very no, it's good. Popular. Preach it, sister. Um, Come on. <laughs> I know, really. I'm just going to get you know all all renewal movement on everybody. <laughs> but I think that part of it too is that sometimes it's hard to have hope when you haven't fully recognized the despair. Mm. 
And I don't know that that's something that really emerges until we can admit and see with clear eyes where we have been, maybe where some wounds have happened, maybe where some um, something has happened. Because for me, I mean, my book is is called Jesus Feminist, but really it's not about, you know, Christian feminist theory by any stretch of the imagination. Right. It's about the kingdom of God to me. It's about what it looks like when we walk in wholeness. It's about what it looks like when we are working together and we are healed and we are moving through our worlds and our lives and, and each other's lives with that kind of... Um, you know, love and joy and peace and patience with one another. So I think that that's a place where I would start. And then I think another good question is really to ask whether or not women are are invisible. Mm. Um, you know, within the community, I think that sometimes, um, you know, having more visibility for women will open up other women to the possibility that they could be visible, and mm. it will normalize that experience for the church. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's a good place to start. Absolutely. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate that. As a, as a, um, my tinies aren't so tiny anymore. You know, they're, they're 13 and 11. And I know for me, over the arc of my parenting, um, you know, my eldest is a, is a girl, and mm -hmm. she's fantastic. And I know on this issue, I've, you know, I, what's resonated multiple times in my own heart has been, I don't ever want to be a part of a movement where, you know, my daughter is looked at as a second-class spiritual citizen. Yeah. That, you know, at at some even at a subtle level, are you know, mm -hmm. kind of communicated. Um, hey, you know, that's great. You can, you know, I love your whole part of the book where you talk about church ladies, like that. You know, <laughs> that, the, that the highest call is a fashion show. Um, I know. You know, and and that's nothing wrong with fashion shows. No, nothing um, at all. Um, but but. Um, you know, if she, you know, she can do whatever she wants, and that doesn't necessarily need to mean that she's going to be the teaching pastor next week. That, you know, that no, no, it doesn't, it doesn't at all. Yeah, I think that part of it too is even, um, you know, questioning our own assumptions hmm. is is part of it as well, um, and that can be a hard thing sometimes. I remember there was one church that I attended in my late teens. Um, in most of my life, you know, women had been such a huge part of the church. Simply, I mean, maybe we just didn't overthink it very much. Right. But a big part of it was we needed them. <laughs> right, 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 right. Absolutely. You know, when you're talking about smaller churches that don't have, you know, maybe a full-time, can't afford to pay a full-time staff, if some, if there's a, a woman who wants to serve communion or there's a woman who wants to, I mean, we just, we needed you. So mm -hmm. there was the practical side of, of things for sure. But then on the other side of it, um, it was funny because even when there would be like, you know, youth, um, you know, leadership, uh, you know, communities or, or you know, programs or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, they would often always only choose choose young boys for that or young men for mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, and there was no one really on the inside saying, you know what, I think that that 18-year-old girl over there who's been leading small groups and ministering in her church, in her school and whatever else would be a great pastor. Right. There was nobody who was really the person putting their hand up saying that. And it would have been amazing if that had been the case. Right, absolutely. I remember years ago there... Um, in um, at, uh, at well, I'll name it because it's positive. There, there's this guy. Um, I was worked at a church in Toronto called the Meeting House. We talked about that yeah. earlier. Um, and our bishop at the time, who was like the grand poobah of the denomination, <laughs> this guy Daryl Winger, fantastic guy. Uh, he probably doesn't listen, but he's a fantastic guy. And I remember one day at our at our church, we were having. Um, when you, and this it speaks to the idea of invisibility. We were having like a lunch at our church. And um, it was like a staff thing, so it was all different people from a bunch of different churches. And um, and he, you know, and it was one of those moments where I was like, "Gosh, I need to learn from him." You know, behind they were everyone was serving like at a buffet, mm -hmm. and behind the buffet um, was only where there were only women behind the buffet. Now it just kind of 
kind of defaulted out like that. That was just, yeah. you know, that, that was there. Oftentimes it just does. It does. And so he, and I, I, it was a subtle movement, and he, he, it was super small. But he, I remember him stepping and saying, hey, it's okay. I'll, you know, let me do this. I, you know, I don't want there to be just women here, um, you know, doing that. And I was like, wow, that, that, it was one of those small things. He probably didn't even, doesn't even remember doing it. Yeah. But it resonated with me. Here's a guy who's, you know, literally the grand poobah of the denomination who, you know, what ha was concerned about that issue and was willing to step in and serve spaghetti or whatever it was we were having, um, you know, that day for sure. I know. I think that's part of what I mean when I talk about, like, more that, you know, embodying the better, right? right. Or, or that idea of, of saying, you know, in this exact moment, maybe I'm not changing everything for all the rest of, you know, history and time right. for every single woman, and maybe I'm not rewriting UN legislation. Right. But right now... I'm going to have, um, you know, this, I'm going to nominate a woman to our elder board, or right now I'm going to go behind the buffet table and serve, and right now I'm going to embody what I want to see the whole, the whole being. Right. I'm just going to take this little moment and embody that better way. Absolutely. You know, I, you speak a lot in the book, or you, you talk about some of your international experience, and that to me has always been um, one of the great ironies, as I've done, I have not done a lot of international travel, and haven't done a lot of work with missionaries, but the, the little bit that I've done, I'm always amazed at, um, you know, really, in a lot of ways, women are holding up the world, you know, they're, um, you know, they're supporting the world, particularly when you get into the developing, you know, the developing world, mm -hmm. the two-thirds world, um, and so it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic book. We've I don't want to give too much away because what I don't want people is people say like, oh, I don't know, maybe I've listened to everything I don't need to know. <laughs> uh, you know, anything. Is there anything else you'd like to share with, you know, people who are listening in who have been, you know, are, you know, church leaders or, you know, just about your book or just about life in general? Oh, my goodness. Well, you shouldn't ask, ask such an authentic <laughs> question to someone like that. You know, going back to what you were saying about the international connection, um, mm -hmm. I think that was the point where I really began to sort of push back against this really narrow box that we've identified as biblical womanhood or biblical manhood even. Mm -hmm. um, because to be honest, I feel like they're both pretty damaging. Mm -hmm. um, but part of the reason why is because I, I began to feel like if, it, if it's not just as true for a woman in Haiti as it is for me in, you know, a middle-class Canadian woman, mm -hmm. then I have to really ask if what we're preaching about this is the gospel. Right. And so I think that that was part of what, where that connection was for me, is that, you know what, it's, it's bigger than this small, narrow box of, you know, an affluent, Western, um, you know, married two kids vision of womanhood. I mean, even you look at women who are widows and women who are single and, you know, women who are single moms or... Um, I mean, all the different seasons and stages of our lives, and yet we kind of focus on this really right. small view of what that would look like and miss the freedom and expansiveness of the gospel and what that would actually look like. And I think that's part of it for me. Was That's why it shaped me so much is, I mean, you, you spend any amount of time and you just really have to say, you know, if it's not true in Darfur, then it's not true here. And right. so then that's maybe just a new law that we're kind of creating. So... Anyway, yeah, it definitely did uh, open my eyes, and hopefully, it will continue to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think even just that's a good you know point to even just end on that as people think about um, you know what they believe. If there there may there will you know, be some people that that are listening to the show that would be maybe from a, a more restrictionist point of view, um, and to a lot of times I find in those conversations, or I found in those conversations before, that people can't acknowledge that their view of scripture is being shaped by their culture. 
yeah. and and you know there is a starting point for the conversation. If we, mm -hmm. we we need to start with okay, what is actually the gospel, yeah. and what is our culture, and that's super hard to do. I acknowledge that because I, I think we all come to the scripture with our own you know cultural understanding. You know, I come at it with a guy. You know, uh, I used to say thirty something, but I guess almost forty something. <laughs> you know, tech guy who is interested in you know that stuff. I realize I read scripture with that. You know, point of view on, and um, you know, we have to figure out how to how to take that, celebrate that, but then also uh, get back to what you know Scripture has to say. So, Sarah, if people want to get in touch with you, read the book, that sort of thing, how uh, how can they do that? Um, well, I'm my website is sarahbessie.com. It's Sarah with an H, and then Bessie's just with two E's and then e, or two S's and then E Y. So, to sarahbessie.com. Um, on Twitter and Facebook, pretty much with always the same name, and then just the little yellow book everywhere you see it. So. Nice. Fantastic. We'll also link to that. Put a link to all that stuff in the show notes. Sarah, I really appreciate you uh, being with us today and taking time out from your schedule uh, to spend some time. Well, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it, Rich. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary. <laughs>